Just, uh, just to give you a little update on the development of vision here at Apex, we've been talking over the last few weeks about what it is that the Lord has called us to, what is self-evident about the grace of God among us and how it is that he's formed us as a congregation. And so uh, we've looked at a number of things that we'll be begin doing or re-establishing within the congregation in the coming months. And the first thing that we're going to do is to establish a time of daily prayer, Monday through Friday, so that basically, except for Saturdays, we as a church will have opportunities to gather here in the building for prayer. Uh, we have to choose a time. There's never going to be a time that's good for anybody, or good for everybody, I should say. Um, and uh, we've, uh, we've gone with a morning time of prayer at 8.30 through, through to 9 o'clock. So if you want to join us, we're going to start on August the 19th. Uh, we will uh, start promptly at 8.30. We'll have maybe a couple of songs. Uh, we'll have some time of extended prayer. We'll have a reading from scripture and maybe a word from that scripture. And then if anybody has come for prayer of a more extended nature, perhaps you're wanting to really press in to pray for things for healing, or restoration in your life or in the life of others, then there will be those members of staff and elders uh, and shepherds who will be available to pray with you. So we're looking to the Lord for that time and uh, asking that he'll make that a special thing as we start that off in this new season. So that's the 19th of August. And if, as a house church, you're beginning to consider some of the ways in which you might serve the greater body of Apex. We obviously have house churches doing lots of different things in lots of different parts of the city and across the Miami Valley. But we would, we would love to begin to talk to you about that. Jason is going to be here, Jason Zastro, at the end of the service, uh, right here at the front. And he'll talk through with you some of the ways in which you might be involved one of the first things I'd love to have house churches involved with is in the prayer ministry time during our times of worship. Uh, already today at our nine o'clock uh, time, we had a significant time of, of prayer ministry uh, with lots and lots of people coming for prayer. And so we really need lots of people to come and pray. And so house churches, if you want to join in on that rotation, we'll invite you to come in. You'll come and pray with the team at 8.15 on a Sunday morning. I'll give you a little bit of coaching at about 8.30 for 10 minutes to make sure that you know how to pray and have confidence in praying for the sick. And then we'll do that through the day. So I hope that uh, you'll be able to join us in that and uh, we'll see prayer as one of the very first things that God does among us. Of course, we're starting a new series today. We're starting a series uh, that by the time we get to the end of it, you'll wonder whether there is any other series that we'll ever be on because we're going to do Luke and Acts. And uh, it's not gonna be possible for us to skip through this as if it's uh, just a small or a light thing. We're going to spend considerable time looking at this amazing narrative of the ministry of Jesus expressed, of course, in Jesus himself, and then the ministry of Jesus expressed in the early church. And as we do that, we're going to be learning what it means to live the life of Jesus and to be on mission as Jesus was on mission, and to do ministry as Jesus did ministry. 
And so we're going to see that as the Lord guides us through this amazing, beautiful landscape that Luke has offered us in this remarkable two-volume account of the life of the Lord in his own ministry and in the life of the early Christians. Today we're going to start with Luke chapter one and verse one. And we're going to just look at a few things. I'll read some passage and then make some comments on those passage and uh, we'll dive in right at the very beginning. So let's look at that together. Luke chapter one and verse one. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. What we have here, though it's not obvious in the English translation, is one of the great pieces of literature of the ancient world. This is a classical piece of literature. Luke is going to be using the common parlance, the common tongue of the people of the street as he writes his gospel and as he, as he introduces the Acts of the Apostles. But right at the beginning of that two-volume account, he gives us this beautifully crafted classical piece of literature that gives us a sense about who it is that's writing. Luke, of course, we know from other parts of the New Testament, was a doctor, a man of letters, an intelligent and well-educated man, a man who has no doubt spent years in training. And in that training has, has developed the gifts that make him an incredible historian and observer of human behavior. And as we see his orderly account, as he describes it, we'll see someone who we can absolutely trust to give us clarity, to give us a concise understanding of what it is that God is wanting to communicate to us. The Holy Spirit saw fit to anoint and inspire Luke to write these two books. But in that inspiration, he used a man who had been crafted and formed throughout his whole life under God's grace to do a remarkable job for us. Theophilus, nobody knows the identity of this particular man. Was it a nickname? Uh, was it a code name? It was quite a common name within the Roman world at the time. But we do know that Luke was perhaps writing at the time when Paul is in prison in Rome. Paul is imprisoned twice in Rome throughout his life. Uh, one time when he's imprisoned uh, during the uh, emperor uh, Claudius's reign and then in the time of Nero when he's uh, convicted and killed. He's, he's, uh, he has his head cut off in Rome in, in about AD 69. But, but right here, long before that, he has appealed to Caesar. He was arrested in Jerusalem, you remember. He's appealed to Caesar and he has been imprisoned in Caesarea in Israel and then put on a boat and sent to Rome. We'll read about the adventures that he has along the way. 
But when he's in Rome, he, he's writing letters to the churches. One of those letters is a letter to the Philippians, the first church that he planted in Europe. And there, at the very end of that letter, he gives us a little insight as to what's going on with his work in Rome as he awaits his trial before Caesar. Obviously, he's found a way of sharing his faith within the household of Caesar himself. Because he says in really the very last verse or the next to last verse of that book of Philippians that the people who are followers of Jesus within the household of Caesar send their greetings. So is it that Theophilus, not Philophilus, that's the other guy. Um, Is it that Theophilus is one of those people? Is he a dignitary? Is he a a member of, of Caesar's household? Well, of course, we don't know. But scholars and historians, as they've looked at what Luke is writing, assume that much of what's going on here is Luke preparing the documents for the defense of Paul before Caesar. And in many ways, this is his defense document. And so perhaps that's part of the story behind the telling and the writing of this text. Let's read on from verse five. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Here's a question for you. Why is it that God seems to use old people so much? It's really interesting, isn't it? gives me great encouragement as my hair gets grayer and my frame gets frailer. It's a fascinating thing that the doors of destiny at the beginning of the old covenant, the doors of destiny at the beginning of the new covenant hang on old hinges. Abraham and Sarah old and frail, barren and childless. The story of fruitlessness is a story of the people of God. That sense of, that sense of frustration and confusion in the hearts of those who believed that children were a blessing from the Lord and that if there were no children, then perhaps God's blessing was being withheld from them. Here in the Old Covenant, Abraham and Sarah become the beginning of something new, even in their advanced years. Isn't that interesting? And isn't it interesting that in the New Covenant, 
the story is rewritten again. A story of childlessness, a story of apparent fruitlessness, apparent withholding of blessing. And here are an old couple who perhaps are thinking about whiling away their days in obscurity. And yet God chooses to hang the doors of destiny on their life. I wonder whether you're ready for a new thing. I wonder whether you're ready for God to do something in you that is unexpected, unbidden. Something that perhaps would open the doors for another generation. Are your best days behind you? Or are they yet to come? Are you looking to the future to coast into obscurity and a restful retirement? Or is it that you're looking and longing for the doors of destiny to be opened through your life? Zechariah, he's part of the priestly division of Abijah. There are 24 different divisions within the priestly caste of the people of Israel. Both his wife and he are Levites. They stand before the Lord night and day, offering prayers and sacrifices. And this remarkable, sophisticated system that that was part of the life, part of the very fabric of the people of Israel was supported and sustained by people like Zechariah and Elizabeth. But for all of its sophistication, they wanted to make sure that they allowed room for the sovereignty of God. And so they would cast lots, which would mean that almost for certain, you would never have the opportunity of offering the incense on the altar of incense, the the altar of intercession right in front of the most holy place, which was only entered on one day by the high priest on the day of atonement. But here, here as he stands at the altar of incense, offering prayers, something remarkable happens. Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Dear old Zechariah, he's advanced in years. He's got the chance of a lifetime. His life has been crowned with the honor of offering prayers for all of the people. And as he offers the set prayers for the people, of course, the longing of his heart 
seeps out in the midst of the intercessions. You can be praying all kinds of prayers, but the longing of your heart will always seep out. And God hears every one of them. I hold your tears in a bottle, says the Lord. I've heard your prayers, Zechariah. And I've not only heard them, but today is the day when I answer them. It's a wonderful thing to know that the Lord is listening. We're not just mouthing words into the atmosphere. It's a wonderful thing to know that the Lord is hearing us and responding to us and his heart is is cleaving to our heart. But it's a great day when the Lord answers our prayers and does the thing that we've been asking for. And here it is, this amazing gift. And it's way beyond anything that Zechariah could have ever imagined. His son is to go forward in the identity and anointing of Elijah. Wow! And he'll go before the Lord to bring back the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, as the ancient prophets said the messenger of the Lord would do. But something's happened in Zechariah. Yes, he has prayed. Maybe, maybe it was just a, a leaky prayer that just came out of his longing that just slipped through his unguarded intellect as he was offering the prayers of the people. Because you see, Zechariah is disappointed. He's disappointed with life and he's disappointed with God. And his disappointment has led to disillusionment and the disillusionment has given birth to disbelief are you disappointed today are you one of those people who has a comment on life that tends towards the cynical rather than the positive? Has your disappointment become disillusionment? And has your disillusionment given birth to disbelief? Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Where were you when we were young 
and full of the expectations of life. Where were you when we were newlyweds? And Elizabeth hoped that that little delay in her period meant that she was with child. Where were you then? Where have you been through these long years? Don't you know how long we've waited? Gabriel, I love Gabriel, he's a, he's a trip. Verse 19, he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, you nincompoop. <laughs> you can hear the exasperation, can't you? Nincompoop's my word, it's not in the Bible, it's okay. But do you see what I mean? He's going, what? I'm Gabriel. Look, angel. You don't get one of these every day. What do you mean you don't believe? But you see, disappointment will erode your faith if you allow it to take root. Disillusionment will rob you of your hope and expectation. And disbelief will disarm any capacity you have to embrace the new thing that God is doing. And he's doing a new thing. Today is the day of salvation. Today is a, is a day of new things. Individually and collectively, it's a new day. There's new grace for this new day. There are new things that God is doing today. But it's faith that is required of the soul that longs for those things. What does Gabriel do? Verse 20, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, they tie a rope to his ankle so that if he's struck dead, nobody has to go in there to pull him out. They can just tug on the rope and get the dead body out of the temple. And they're probably looking at each other going, you know, we need to review our practices. We've got to think this through again because I th do you think he's dead? They wonder, what is he doing in there? Of course, he comes out and it's quite obvious he's seen an angel. I, I don't know how they knew he was, he made some kind of 
I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know what he did to show that it was an angel that he saw, but he, they, they got it. And uh, sure enough, Elizabeth had the joy of realizing that she was pregnant as they went home. But Zechariah was silent. See, here's the thing. Even if you're not functionally silenced by your disillusionment, your cynicism will mean that your influence is negated. Your influence for good, your influence for the kingdom, your influence for what it is that God wants to do in you and through you, it will be silenced because the faithful witness that God is looking for is not possible from the lips of those who have descended down that slippery slope. But there is hope. If today you know that your disappointment has led to disillusionment and you've shared the gospel of disbelief, there's hope. And what is the hope? Well, as we look to the completion of the story, we need to look further on in the chapter, verse 57. The day for John's birth arrives. Elizabeth is ready, she gives birth. The people in her community celebrate with her. What an amazing and awesome miracle God has done. And they say to Elizabeth, well, it's the day of circumcision, it's the eighth day, so I guess we're gonna call him Zechariah, which means the Lord remembers, which is a good thing to call a child, because surely he has remembered. But she says, no, his name is to be John. God's gift is grace. And so they go to Zechariah. Verse 62, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. God's gracious gift. What is it that Zechariah has learned in the midst of his silence? He's learned that although the circumstances of his life may well have been impacted by evil in the world, that even though his life may have been subject to forces beyond his control. God is working in all things for his good. And so he can cry, it's grace. And because he sees the grace, and because he declares the grace, he's able to receive the gift. You see, God is working by his grace. We're saved 
by grace, through faith. There's the interesting thing. It is, of course, God's gift. But God's gift has to be received. And the way we receive God's gift, the gift of salvation, or the gift of any lesser gift, is through faith. So let me ask you again. Are you disappointed? Are there frustrations that have come to you from the past that cause you to be disillusioned? Did you think as you got up this morning, well, I guess I need to go to church because you know, I've been doing it all my life and And has the disillusionment given birth to disbelief? And has the disbelief meant that the grace for the day that God has for you is impossible for you to receive, however bountiful it is? I think, I think that this is something that we need to wrestle with. Because I believe that the disappointment can be dispelled. I believe the disillusionment can be dispersed. And I believe that the bright new day of a sun rising in your life to bring you faith today is God's plan for you and for me. So that today is a day when faith leads us to embrace the grace that's here for us. Dear old Zechariah, it's interesting, isn't it? The Lord asks him to do something he can't do. And he can't do it because the Lord prevented him from doing it. Along come the people and they say, well, what do we call him? Well, he can't, I mean, he can't say it. But you've got to say it. But, I, I, but as soon as you say it, then you'll be released. But I, I know what it's like. You see folks coming forward for prayer and you go, God bless them. I'm never gonna do that. I don't need to do it. It all happens up here and here. The Lord didn't say to Zechariah, so what are you thinking? And so today, I'm going to ask you, if disappointment has been part of your story and that that thread woven into the fabric of your life has led to disillusionment and disbelief in any way, I'm going to ask you to come and pray with me. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me 
that the Lord dispels all of that and births in you fresh faith for a new day and for grace that God is providing today that you can embrace by faith. So, why don't you come? If today you know that this message is for you, that disappointment has marked your path and it has marked your heart because it's marked your path, come and join me here and we'll pray together. I think the worship team are gonna come up. We're not going to... uh, do this as a kind of an emotional thing, but uh, we're just gonna invite you to come. It's a long way to come from up there, but uh, you can come too. It's a hard one, isn't it? His name is John. It's all grace. Lord, I ask you that your mercy, new every day, would extend to each of us. Lord, I pray for your grace that is available to us right now, fresh, new. Lord, I pray that your grace would be embraced by each one of us. Lord, you say that it is by hearing the word that faith is born in our hearts. And so Lord, these dear ones already have faith because they've heard your word. And it doesn't need to be much faith, Lord. It only needs to be a mustard seed to move a mountain. And so Lord, I pray that the mountains of disappointment would be cast into the ocean today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the mountain ranges of disillusionment and disbelief, Lord, would just be cast into the sea. And Lord, we speak to those mountains. We speak to those mountains and we say, be moved from here to there. And even now, Lord, In the heavenlies, we hear the sound of rumbling because the mountains are moving. And so, Lord, we pray for 
Each one today whose path has been marked by disappointment. We thank you, Lord, that you've kept our tears in a bottle. You've counted every one of them. and that nothing is lost. And we thank you, Lord, that this day is a new day of faith and of grace. And Lord, we choose to walk in it as a day of faith and grace. And we choose to say with Zechariah, it is grace. It is grace. And all God's people say,